Well, let's take our Bibles and we're going to turn to the book of Philippians this morning. Philippians chapter number 2. And we've been uh, taking some time and looking at the book of Philippians. We were several weeks in chapter 1 and dealing with some of the things there. And now we start today on chapter 2. And as you probably know, uh, when the Bible was originally written, uh, it wasn't divided into chapters and verses. And so when we look at, for instance, the, the book of Philippians, this is an epistle. It was a letter that was written by the hand of Paul, obviously under Holy Spirit inspiration, to the church at Philippi. And so uh, this, was, this was a letter in paragraph form. Now I'm thankful for chapters and verses. It makes it a lot easier to preach to you, and I don't have to say open up and find where it says. Uh, I can point you to a chapter and verse. But the reason I mention that is so that you are aware when we start a new chapter, this isn't necessarily a different subject. It's a continuation of what has been previously said. In fact, we find that one of the first verses, the fourth or first words, the fourth word in verse number one is therefore. And so this is a reference to the things that are stated before. So just to give you a little bit of a reminder, we, we looked last week at the fact that Paul talked about the persecution that he was facing and that they could face and, and would expect to face uh, for their faith and stand for the Lord, but that they were to face that with joy and with confidence, not being terrified of their adversaries, but to persevere with confidence in the Lord. Now we're going to begin chapter 2, and if you're able to stand in honor of the Word of God as we read together, I'll invite you to do that at this time. We're going to read verses 1 through 5 of Philippians 2. It says here, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now we'll look next week at what that mind is and what it looked like and how it was manifested in the life of Christ. But I want to preach to you this morning on this subject According to verse number 2, that ye be like-minded. And then verse number 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I want to preach to you this morning on this. Like-minded is Christ-minded. Like-minded is Christ-minded. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, that which looks into the heart of man and, and reveals to us what is really there. And Father, as, as we see in this passage of Scripture, a subject addressed that is so practical and so applicable even in our day, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to see what you see. Help us to uh, look through your eyes today and be honest with ourselves about our needs. And would you help us to overcome our flesh and our tendencies and help us to walk in that which you have given to us, the mind of Christ and Lord, as a result of that, may we be, as this passage says, like-minded and in one accord 
and of one mind. Lord, would you please speak to our hearts today? And as was already mentioned, uh, for those who maybe are here without the mind of Christ because they've never received the Spirit of God by salvation, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. So Lord, just work in this message and give us the attentiveness to listen to what you have to say. Speak through me as your messenger, Lord. I don't want to get up here and give my opinions or uh, speak about things that may be of personal importance to me, but Lord, I, I want to be led by your Spirit to communicate your word to your people, and I ask that you would help me to do that. And ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. One of the things that seems that has been uh, a recurring theme around here, not necessarily by uh, intention, but just the way that, that things have worked out, and I trust that it's of the Lord's will, is that we as a church need to be unified. We need to be one and in the Lord and walking in oneness, walking in unity together, serving the Lord. And we've just finished up on Wednesday nights looking at 1 Corinthians 13 and, and what it means to love one another and, and, and to walk in charity. Well, we come to this passage of Scripture and once again we're reminded of this truth. We are to walk together in unity. He says in verse number 2, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, uh, having the same love, being of one accord. And when he talks about being in one accord, this, this has to do with, with working together and walking together. And then it even says of one mind. So again, we're reminded of the need to walk in unity. God wants us, church, to be unified. How can two walk together except they be agreed? And so God wants us to be together. And yet in this passage of Scripture, I think we find some very practical applications of the how. How do we uh, walk together in unity? How can we implement this in our lives? He starts off in this passage by addressing what I call some realities of our lives as Christians. These realities. These are things that are true of us. Notice the word as he begins verse number one, he says, if, four times in this verse, he uses the word if, if there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. And we might look at that and say, well, these are conditional. Usually when we use the word if, this is like, you know, if this happens to be so, but he's actually using the word if here in somewhat of an ironic way, if I can put it that way, to basically state these are things that are obviously true. And because these things are obviously true, therefore that which I say following ought also to be. Let me give you uh, an explanation of what I'm talking about there. Notice verse number 1, he says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ. And I want to ask you, Christian friend, child of God, is there consolation in Christ? Anyone? Is there consolation in Christ? Yes, there is. Uh, we may face trials, tribulations, temptations, persecutions uh, in our lives, but if you know Christ as your Savior, there is consolation in that. This is a reality. This is a, a truth. Think about this. Here's what we know of our salvation. The fact that we are 
in Christ. And how often do we find that phrase uh, spoken of in Scripture? Those who are in Christ are children of God. Those who've been born again. What is true of us? Well, this is true of every child of God. Our sins have been washed away by the blood of Christ. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. The Lord has cleansed us from all sin. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, our sins are forgiven. We are on our way to heaven. Think about this with me, friend. If you know Christ as your Savior, you do not have to hope that one day you will make it. Because you have the Word of God, the promise of God, that you are saved and on your way to heaven. Your sins have been forgiven. Have been forgiven. You are declared righteous in the sight of God. And Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus is preparing a place for you today if you know Christ as your Savior. There is a home with your name on it in the Father's house that where He is, there we may be also, so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's a promise from God. Okay, so if I'm saved, if I'm in Christ, my sins are forgiven, I'm on my way to heaven, and oh, by the way, I can never lose that because I'm kept by the power of God unto salvation. Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. These are things that are true of you and of me, are they not? I know that I'm saved. I know my sins are forgiven. I know that when this life is over, however I die, whether it be in some tragic way, or, or if I live a long life and, and pass peacefully in my sleep, no matter what happens, I know that I am going to heaven to be with God. And I know that I will never lose that. This is a reality of who I am. I am, according to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 6, accepted in the Beloved. The Bible says, uh, that, under the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. I have a place among God's people. And if you're a child of God, you do too. You have a place. You are accepted by Christ and by God's people. I know that because I am a child of God and I am one of the called according to His purpose, that all things work together for good. Now, think about this, friend. What is the context? Remember, I told you that, that chapter 2 is a continuation of chapter 1. What is the context? In nothing terrified by your adversaries. Knowing... That, that there is affliction that awaits the Christian. But is there consolation in Christ? Well, yes, there is consolation in Christ because you know that you're saved. And, and you know that you're right with God. And you know that you're accepted in the Beloved. And you know that all things work together for good. Friends, there is consolation in Christ. I wish you were excited, excited about that. I am. I'm thankful that in Christ there's consolation. Notice this also, if any comfort of love. Isn't it good to know, we, we heard a song just a moment ago, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. Isn't it good to know 
that God loves you? Listen, I, I know we even criticize churches where all they can talk about is God is love, God is love. Because we understand there's also a lot about sin in this book, right? And the judgment of God and the wrath of God, that's all in there too. But don't forget the fact, friend, that God is love and God's love was poured out on you at Calvary. God loves you. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His love has been proven through his own bloodshed. God loves you. And oh, by the way, because God loves you, if you've been saved, you also love him. And if you have been saved because God loved you and He shed His love upon you and now you've been born again and the love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost, you love Him and you also have love for His people. Listen, this is important. This is not, again, we're not talking about should-bes and ought-to-bes today. We're talking about realities. If there is consolation in Christ, there is also comfort of love. And that love is not just God's love for me and my love for Him, but it's also that love that is demonstrated out through me. And that is a reality if I am in Christ. Go with me if you would. Hold your place here in 1 John chapter number 4. 1 John 4, we looked at these verses the other night. I am going somewhere with this, okay? So follow me here. If there is consolation in Christ, which we know there is, there is also comfort of love. And we often talk about the way that we ought to love, but did you know that if you are saved, you have the love of God for Him and for His people? Look with me, 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. 1 John 5, 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Is that a statement of ought to be or is this a statement of fact? It's fact, right? Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. Again, it doesn't say we should love one another. It says we do this is a reality for the child of God. If you have the Spirit of God living in you, you also have love for the brethren. Now, back up to chapter 4, verse 21, and look what it says. And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. So which is it? Is it a reality? Is it a fact? Or is it a commandment and that which ought to be? And the answer to that is yes. In other words, if you are in Christ, here is what is true of you. You have the love of God for God and for His people. And if you are a child of God, you ought to love. So it's not just an ought to, it is a reality, but that reality must be lived out. Now, let's go back to Philippians. These are realities. There is consolation in Christ. There is comfort of love. Notice this also. If any fellowship of the Spirit. Now, 
Again, we're, we're going back to salvation here. When you got saved, you received the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised him in John chapter 16. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God unto the day of redemption. 1 Corinthians tells us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost, right? So if your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, you're a child of God, you have the Spirit of God living in you, right? And if you have the Holy Spirit living within you, you have fellowship with God through Jesus. Amen. You have fellowship with God. I'm thankful that God didn't just save us and keep us at arm's distance. When he saved us, he welcomed us into his family. He invites us unto the throne of grace, where we can come into his throne room and find grace to help in time of need. I'm thankful that he has called us not just servants, but friends. He's called us his children. We are his. We belong to him. We are part of his family. He has spent the, sent the spirit of God into our hearts. It's the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We have a relationship. We have fellowship with God. And what does that fellowship look like? Well, it's not just with God, it's also fellowship in the Spirit with the brethren. 1 John 1 tells us that these things were written that we might have fellowship. And he says, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son. So if I am in fellowship with the Father and the Son, and you are in fellowship with the Father and with the Son, we are in fellowship with one another. This is a reality. As we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And so as, as we talk about these things, and then the, the last one, if there be any bowels and mercies, we, we, we wouldn't use this term today because bowels kind of have a negative connotation in, 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 in our society and our, the way we think of things. But, but the way that we would express this is, you know, I love you with all my heart. The Bible understanding of that was they expressed love, that feeling of love was deep down in the belly. It was in the bowels. And so this is talking about a, a deep, compassionate love for one another. But I want you to notice as we walk through this and follow this logically, this is not a statement to say these things ought to be. This is an, a statement of realities that are true of us. These things are true of God's people. We have consolation in Christ. We have comfort of love. We have fellowship in the Spirit. We have bowels and mercies, that deep inner love and yearning and compassion for one another. And the reality is, friend, that if these things are not there, it's because the Spirit of God is not there. If you are saved and you have the Spirit of God, these things are true of you. You say, well, why is it then that I struggle to be in one accord with God's people? Shouldn't it just be automatic that if I'm saved and you're saved and these things are true of us, that we should just automatically all get along and come together and hug and link arms and sing kumbaya together, right? Well, that, that, that doesn't always play out that way, does it? 
Because even though these things are true, these are realities for God's people, sometimes we do not walk in that reality. Have you ever found that you, I know I'm saved, but I don't always walk like I'm saved. I know that I'm free from sin, but I walk as though I'm in bondage to sin. I know that I'm in fellowship with God, but I walk as though I'm distant from God. Have you ever felt that way? I know I have. But here's what Paul is saying. Here's the argument. If these things are true of you, and they are if you're saved, if these things are true of you, then, notice the next word, fulfill. Verse 2, fulfill ye my joy. That. And he goes on and describes. In other words, these things are true, but now you need to put to practice what is true of you. You need to actually put feet to this. You need to actually make an effort because there are realities, but then secondly, there is a resolve. If these things are true, you must commit to obeying them and walking in them. Since these things are true, we must resolve to walk Accordingly, and look at what it says here, verse 2 Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like minded. Okay, so we are to be like minded. Now, it's been said before if you get two Baptists together, and I think it was actually said probably in reference to Baptist preachers, you get two Baptist preachers together, you're going to have three different opinions. All right? And so, sometimes that's true. There are things that we don't see eye to eye on. And there are things that we don't all agree on. There are differences. Let me ask some questions. I'm going to stir this up. I like to cause division. Here we go. Ready? Who here, your favorite color is blue? This is my tribe right here. I like this. Put your hand down. Anyone, your favorite color is green. Man, you need to find a different church. Anyone else? All right. Orange. Yellow, all right, not as many. Pink, come on, guys, we know. No, that's all right. Anyway, all right, so that's a silly example. And nobody really divides over issues like that. Unless you're trying to vote on the color of the carpet in the church building, that could be an issue, right? All right, how about this one? Sports teams. We got Cardinals fans here. All right, a few Cubs fans. Ooh, not as many. No, no, one's, no one's brave enough to admit it around here, right? Brewers fans, anyone? I grew up in Wisconsin, I'm sorry. You can't, yeah, we got two of us. Hey, represent, but all right, very good. Anyway, no, we just, we don't divide over these things. We understand that we, you know, like-mindedness doesn't necessarily mean that we think the same on every little detail. But you know, some of these issues do become divisive. How about this one? Uh, who likes instrumental music over vocal music? Anyone? You prefer instrumental? A few of you. Anyone here prefer vocal, singing? All right, some of us do. You say, well, that's not a big issue. Oh, it can become an issue in church. I think we need to use more of this and less of this. I think we need to use less of this and more of this. Some people differ on things like this. Okay, we, we, we started a new 
format several weeks ago for our Sunday school classes, kind of dividing up into small groups and doing that and having more discussion. Some people prefer a lecture style. Everybody in the same room, one person teaching. Different way of looking at it, different preferences. You know what? should never become divisive, but sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. And so we look at these things and we say, well, how can we be like-minded? I heard a, a joke one time. I think this is an example. Quite honestly, if, if all of our... If all of our, if we think that like-mindedness means that we have to agree on every little thing, we're not even going to be like-minded with ourselves. Would you agree with me on that? You ever find yourself changing your mind about things? I heard a joke one time of a guy who was shipwrecked somewhere by himself on an island, stuck there, and uh, it was several years past, and he finally got rescued. And the ship that rescued him, you know, they, they took him on and they were kind of sailing away and they're all looking off the back of the boat, looking at the island, just kind of reflecting. And there were three structures that were built on the island, just kind of fashioned out of sticks and driftwood and whatever else, you know. And, uh, and, and one of the, the, the crew on the ship looked at the guy that had been stranded there. He said, what are those three buildings that are built there? He said, oh, you see the one over there on the left? He said, that's my house. That's where I lived the whole time I was on the island. He said, okay, well, what's the one on the far right? He said, well, that was, that was a place I built for my church. That was where I went to worship the Lord, especially on Sundays. And, you know, it was just kind of the, the tabernacle. It's where I went to, to worship the Lord. He said, okay, well, what about the one between your house and the church? What's that other building? He said, that's where I used to go to church. I don't want to talk about it. And uh, he's the only one on the island, but he couldn't get along with that. Have you, have you ever found that you're not always like-minded even with yourself? Sure, we're not all going to connect on the same things. So how can we be like-minded? The key is found in verse number five. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. How can we be like-minded? It is to put on the mind of Christ. To let the mind of Christ dwell in us. You see, the Bible tells us that we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 clearly says that we have the mind of Christ. This is a reality for the child of God. If you're saved, you have the mind of Christ. But isn't it also true that you don't always let this mind be in you? You don't always think accordingly. You don't always let the mind of Christ dwell in you and affect your decisions. So what, is this, what does this go back to? Well, it really goes back to our theme for the year. John chapter 15, abide. Abide in me and I in you. He said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. If you're in Christ, you're a branch, he is the vine. But what does he say? You have to remain. You have to abide. You have to allow that which is true of you, that you are in Christ, to actually flow through you and change your actions. We have to actually allow the mind of Christ that we have to permeate through us and even beyond our flesh and our desires and our preferences. 
So we say, well, I don't really like this person over here, and I don't really care for this person, and I relate to these people better. That's fleshly thinking. Because biblical thinking in the mind of Christ is to say, we're going to be like-minded, we're going to be unified in Christ, and I'm going to let this mind be in me. Notice he says, having the same love. This goes back to what we already talked about, the fact that that we are, uh, that we have the love of Christ in us. But the Bible would tell us in the book of Colossians, chapter 2 and verse number 6, as ye therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. If you have the love of God shed abroad in your heart, you must walk in love. It doesn't just come automatically because we have it. Okay, so... We are to be like-minded, having the same love. Notice this. Being of one accord. I already mentioned that the Father and the Son are not divided. Jesus said, let's go over to John chapter number 17, if you will. John chapter 17. And I want to show you, this is the prayer that Jesus prayed for His disciples just before He went to the cross. John 17, beginning in verse number 22. It says, And the glory which thou gavest me, this is the the Son, Jesus, speaking to his heavenly Father, the glory which thou hast given me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. So what is Jesus saying? He's praying to his Father and he says, Father, I pray that they would be one in the same way that you and I are one. Now that is a level of unity that I cannot honestly say I have ever fully experienced with God's people. To be one in the same way that God the Father and the God the Son are one. That is unity. And you might look at that and say, how is that even possible? I don't want to get too deep into theology today about exactly the oneness of the Father and Son. We understand that these are distinct persons within the Godhead. We have one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. They're, they're co-equal, co-eternal. It's one God. But we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what we find is that within the Godhead, there is actually an authority structure. One of the things that Jesus said in John chapter 8 was that He does always those things which please the Father. He told His disciples, as The Father hath sent me, even so send I you. So Jesus, being God, and we're going to see next week, being in the form of God, that He is God, He's co-equal with the Father, that He is subject to the will of the Heavenly Father. How can we be like-minded and in unity? Is it not in submitting ourselves to the will of the Father? 
You see, we could say, well, I think things ought to be this way. Well, no, I think things ought to be this way. I like this kind of music. Well, I like this kind of music. I, I want things to be this way. I think this decision needs to be made. What if we all just said, thy will be done? And if we were submitted to the will of the Father and committed to doing the will of the Father in the same way that the Son has submitted Himself to the will of the Father, you know what would happen? We would be like-minded and in one accord. Because we would say, it doesn't really matter what I want. What matters is what God wants. I'm yielded to him. And that really brings us to the last statement here that we would be of one accord and then of one mind. And you might look at that and say, well that's the same that's just repeating what he said at the beginning of the verse that we would be like-minded. But actually this word mind has kind of a slightly different connotation. Have you ever been told maybe as a child or ever told your kids, mind your manners? You ever heard that? What's, what's the idea? Give attention to. Consider your manners. You're going over to someone else's house. Mind your manners. Pay attention. It's important. This idea of being of one mind means that our attention is on the same thing. That we are committed to the same purpose. If we were to go back to chapter 1, what does he say? Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel. That you be of one heart, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Folks, I hope we understand that God has given to us a purpose. He's given your life purpose. He's given our church a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify Him ultimately by the proclamation of the gospel to every creature in the world. That is our purpose. That is our goal. And as long as our eyes and our efforts are focused in that way, we are on the same page. What happens is we start to get deterred and distracted with all kinds of other things that have no eternal significance. And we get caught up in these things and become divided when Christ wants us to be united. And so we must resolve to walk in that which is already true of us. That we already have the mind of Christ, but now we need to put on the mind of Christ. We need to let this mind be in us, dwell in us, work through us. We must align ourselves with the will of God and yield ourselves to the will of God. And if, if I'll yield myself to the will of God and you'll yield yourself to the will of God, we're not going to have any conflict between us because we're committed to the same thing. So we've seen our realities and we've seen our resolve. And very quickly, I want to talk about the rule. What does that look like as we put it into practice? What is affected in our life as we walk in that which is already true of us? Well, let me say, first of all, it's going to affect our motives. Verse number three, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. If we are in line and in tune with the Spirit of God, walking in fellowship with Him, submitted to the Spirit of God... 
We won't do the things that we do for selfish reasons. We won't serve for self-exaltation or the praise of men because it's not about us. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. And friend, if you are doing the things you do in service to God in hopes that other people will think a certain way about you, you've missed the point. Yielding to the Spirit of God will affect our motive. Secondly, it will affect our view of self. Because he says, but in lowliness of mind, verse 3, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Lowliness of mind. You see... When we are walking in our own fleshly mind, we can become pretty puffed up about who we are and what we do. We we can become pretty prideful about our abilities or our righteousness or whatever it is. God doesn't want us to be that way. He wants us to be humble in lowliness of mind. The Bible says in James 4 that God resisteth the proud. He gives His grace to the humble. Humble yourselves in the, in the sight of the Lord under the hand of God. And he will exalt you. Humble yourself. Walking in submission to the will of the Father will affect our motives. It will affect our view of self. And it will affect our view of others. Because He said, let each esteem other better than himself. We, we hear a lot of talk today about low self-esteem as though it's a bad thing. Listen, we ought not to be insecure. If you're in Christ, you can be confident and bold. You don't need to be insecure. But the issue really is not too low of a view of self. It's actually usually too high a view of self. Even our insecurities can be a pride problem. We think too much of ourselves to be honest about our inabilities. We think too much of ourselves to let someone else think low of us. But a humble person is not necessarily an insecure person. A humble person is honest. Who am I? Well, without Christ, I'm nobody. I'm nothing. Jesus said, without me, I can do nothing. Without Him, I can do nothing. But wait a second. In Him, I'm accepted in the Beloved. I have the Spirit of God and the power of God, and I can, I can act in the name of Jesus. I can pray in His name The righteous, the Bible says, are bold as a lion. So I can be humble and still bold. I'm not to be insecure, but I don't need to be proud about who I am. I ought to be lowly in my mind. And then I can look at others, and I can be honest and say, you know what, they're better than me. I ought to look at you and say, you're better than me. Not just verbally, but in my own mind, 
esteem you better than myself. You're more important than me. How often do our problems come from the fact that we feel that we're more important than someone else? Folks, we're not. There's one person who matters in this church, and it's not someone who's sitting in one of these chairs or standing behind this pulpit. It's the Lord Jesus. He matters. So let us esteem others better than ourselves. And then what's going to happen? Verse number four, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. It's going to affect our service. We're going to be committed to serving one another by love. Not self-interested, not trying to do that which is convenient or that which makes me comfortable, but willing to say, you know what? I'm here to serve the Lord and I serve the Lord by serving others. Look at verse 5 again with me. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Did Jesus do those things that always made him comfortable? No. He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. He humbled himself, we'll read next week, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He lost sleep. There were times he didn't have a chance to stop and eat, but he was pouring himself into other people. Why? Because Christ came not for him, but for you. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Friend, I hope if we leave here today, if we can leave with one thing, let me not serve for me. Let me serve others for Him. Like-mindedness is Christ-mindedness.